welcome to the She Can Recover podcast with me, Sheila, a recovering addict with borderline personality disorder. I have found through my own recovery journey that connection is everything. There was often times that I felt so lonely and it took a while for me to find my people and my support network. And it can look different for everyone. I've found a growing online community of individuals with a whole range of mental health conditions and almost universally found that for reasons like access to healthcare, stigma and backlash and financial challenges, they're not always able to speak up for themselves, get access to the resources they need and be authentically themselves. I truly believe that we all have the right to thrive and be our own unique selves in our lives, no matter what hostile conditions our minds have put us under. And my vision for this podcast is to provide that connection point and safe space to dismantle some of the stigma that's holding us back. Join me in conversation with some incredible people across the community sharing their experience and some of their coping strategies. I am not a therapist, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so I can't offer professional advice. But what I can offer are candid, open, real and raw discussions about mental health so that someone else out there feels less alone today. Now let's get into the podcast. Welcome to the podcast of She Can Recover. Today's guest is Ali Author on Instagram. Ali, uh, I'm just really excited to be talking to you today. Having read Generation of Sunflowers, it really moved me and I just thought it was really beautiful. And uh, and it's such an inspiration for someone to just go out and just... Um, get published and be really creative and channel mental health and illness into creation. Um, I just think that's such a good and powerful thing to do. And so I'm very excited to have you on. And um, have you decided on your affirmation for the, the podcast this week? For today, I'm going to say my affirmation is we are stronger together. Being stronger together, that is my affirmation. Um, I did think about, you know, my personal mantra, my personal motto, that is one day at a time. But because I write for our community, our borderline community, we are stronger together. I believe we're stronger in numbers. We're stronger together as sisters and brothers and whatever. I think we need to be a collective and just be okay with what we have and own it and look at it as a superpower, not a detriment. And that's kind of what I did through my poetry. It's very hard to live with borderline. But it's also makes me very multifaceted. I'm very passionate. I'm intense, meaning I throw everything I have into whatever I'm doing, which is great and also a curse. But I've, I've learned to work with it, learned to make it my friend somewhat. However, you can make your illness your friend, but I've come to terms with it. And now it's time to advocate. For instance, I had my book signing today. This was my fifth book signing but it was Bloom's first book signing. So giving a bit of background on Bloom, Bloom is my second poetry collection that released or dropped in June of this year, 2023. And it is the sequel to my first collection, A Generation of Sunflowers. So today I was lucky enough, Chapters Indigo, that's the main bookstore in Canada. I'm on consignment with them and I have been since 2021, the first book, but I was given the opportunity to do a book signing for Bloom. And it's time. Of course, I'm very impatient and I've been sitting here since June thinking, when the heck is this going to get off the ground? You know, this is super groundbreaking. This is good. This is just so much more powerful and just less melancholic than the first one. And finally, it's happening. 
I just had to give people the grace of summer vacation because this girl apparently doesn't take summer vacation. She just go, 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 goes. <laughs> but no, I'm very pleased that they gave me this opportunity. So this was Bloom's first, I guess, showcase or event. It was lovely. There was a business in Winnipeg, where I am, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, Tilted Space on Instagram. That is the business. They very generously sponsored two lovely flower, I guess, displays for my table just beautiful um they unfortunately didn't have any hibiscus or faux sunflowers but they did make one hell of a display for my my table and it's to date probably the most beautiful table i've had so yeah i don't even really know where i was going with that but yeah bloom and writing for a collective and being stronger together and i actually think a really great segue into our into our conversation that we're going to continue having is i would like to read a piece from bloom if that's okay with you and it's titled stronger together i would love that i would absolutely love that yeah so i don't really read a lot of my poetry aloud for the most part because personally i want the reader to picture their own voice or whomever's voice reading it to them i don't want my voice linked to my words all the time because the tone and inflections in my voice might not be how you read the poetry in your head if that makes sense Today I am going to do a piece. I'm going to read a piece from the fourth section of Bloom. The book is, I guess, segmented into four categories. We've got, let me look, I should know this, but I've got lots of my brain right now. We've got mind, heart, body, and soul. Stigma is mind, hence the stigma that we deal with with borderline personality disorder. Moving into heart sepal. Sepal is the, um, it's the, I guess it's the leaves that encases a bud before it blossoms. So I guess before I go on, I should say this book is structured around the hibiscus flower, kind of like Generation of Sunflowers, it was sunflowers. So this is the hibiscus, hibbies. We move into the third section, body, stem. The stem is what keeps you upright, what keeps the flower upright. And moving into the fourth section where this piece is stronger together, roots, soul. These are the things that make me me, my foundations. And stronger together is me. That is my core value. Stronger together writing for you for us reinvigorates my purpose and validates my why it reminds me i too am not alone stronger together short genuine raw gut punchy poetry is what i go for and yeah it was short but it got my message across it's beautiful. So I really hope um, when you, you will enjoy it. Yeah, there's got 50 pieces in this book, so it, I really challenged myself. Mm -hmm. And what was your writing process for this bit? Oh, well, this book, I didn't have the same editor as I did, unfortunately, um, for A Generation of Sunflowers. So I kind of went into it saying, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need anybody. I'm just going to do this. So really... I thought, how do I want to structure this book? What do I want to talk about? What did I not talk about in Agos? What did I not talk about? So I really pulled out parts of myself that maybe I thought were too vulnerable or just things I wasn't ready to say, and I've said them now. But having said that, I'll give you a little, I guess, a cameo into the future here. I will be creating one more, one last poetry book to, to kind of round out the Florals trilogy. It will be titled Flourish, and don't expect it for another two years. 
Okay. I'm so excited already. <laughs> oh, I'm, girl, I really, really am. So, you know, with this, I thought, what do I want to say? And that's really where it started. And I also said to myself, how long do I want this one to be? How, how, how much content do we want in this? Okay, 50 poems. You're going to challenge yourself. You're going to do it. It was very difficult living with some impulsivity. Um, not as much as I used to, but it's, it's still hard living with it, nagging on my shoulder saying, you've got 42 pieces, publish it, publish it, do it, publish it. Yeah. No, relax. Just get through it. You will hit your 50 pieces and you're going to have a masterpiece. It would be a masterpiece at 42. Let me tell you, it's very strong writing, but better with 50. So I held out and I'm glad I held out till I hit 50. Why I 50? Really, I just wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to see what I could do. I believe the first book has 27 poems, which is fine, but I just wanted to challenge myself. There are longer pieces in this too, which is nice. They're not just all kind of insta-poetry short pieces there's a variety in here um but yeah what I did was I kind of wrote a list of the things that I didn't touch on in Agos and things that I'm working through now in my life um I just wrote down things that I didn't ex I wanted to expand on or things I didn't tr uh, tread yet and that's kind of how I got the writing started but I will tell you there is one piece in here it was my first piece that I wrote and I knew this was going to be the first piece going into bloom not the first piece of the book just I am writing this first piece and this is starting bloom. This is going to start my And unfortunately it was when my grandpa was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer in June of 2021. So June in 2021 is when I started writing this. Yeah, A Generation of Sunflowers came out March of 21 and I started writing this in June. And the piece was simply, and you'll get to it when you read it, but it's called I Wish I Had Listened. And it's about Young, us young people just not really listening to the words that are told to us and the stories that are told to us it's in one ear out the other and I really wish I had listened to my grandpa's stories all these years and telling me all these great things and, and this and that so it was kind of a, a lament also grieving the fact that shit I really should have listened to what you were saying because we might not have much more time for you to tell me things so yeah. that's kind of the first piece that went into bloom it was grappa and did you get time to listen to any stories or anecdotes? oh yeah grandpa's still kicking he's one heck of an old bird he's oh yeah he's still good i'm i'm a full-time caregiver for him he's got vascular dementia now aside from metastatic prostate cancer so he's living on borrowed time type thing but he's still kicking he's doing well and oh, i listen to him very intently now very very <laughs> intently let anything go in one ear of the other it's Everything is done with intention. And that's kind of what I learned when he was in the hospital during that stay and the cancer was found. You have to enjoy everything. Mm -hmm. Be it bad, good. You have to enjoy everything because it's going to come to an end one day. It's interesting thinking about that, where, where it's taken my head is um, when you're young, you don't tend to take, take it all in. You, you know, a lot of things are lost on youth. Yeah. And then it takes me to addiction and, you know, you really don't enjoy any present moment when you're in active addiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I'm learning now is like how yeah. to try and be still and peaceful and mindful in every moment, even when it's really hard and dark. 
I'm really proud of you to have been able to recognize that and I'm sure that you'd be proud of yourself like I hope so to recognize yes. that you know you could have these kind of regrets and almost like out of this situation it's given you an opportunity from my perspective it seems sounds like it's given you an opportunity to communicate that to someone so someone reading your poetry might yeah. think oh my goodness maybe I need to go and spend more time with my family or you yeah. know enjoy these moments that that poem specifically I can just think about people who have lost grandparents I am so thankful the grandparents that I have left are on my my dad's side nan and grandpa they raised me it was dad raising me as a single father but also took a village nan and grandpa really really stepped in yeah nan and grandpa they are both grandpa's 83 now nana's 82 and I'm just really grateful that I've had this time with them and that they're still around and still kicking yes one has parkinson's and one has met metastatic prostate cancer but I think that poem is very relatable to just about anyone who's lost someone. And then I guess it might be good to go right back to the beginning and understand a bit more about you for the sake of anyone listening. Mm -hmm. So um, forgive me, you have borderline personality disorder, same as me. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, you're also sober. Um no no okay no no I'm not so I do I do resonate with the addiction stuff when I was going through my very hard tumultuous breakup with my ex-fiance um yeah I lost myself to marijuana lost myself to weed I was smoking 14 grams mm -hmm. a week thank god it's not done anything to my lungs because I'm an opera singer so um I have cut back okay so much but but I'm very open about it weed is one of the things that helped me shut my brain off yeah. there is a difference between smoking to numb out and completely disassociate and then just having a couple hoots at night just to relax and go to sleep yeah yeah so yeah I, I am a pot smoker and I'm I'm saying that very openly but it was an issue and I corralled that shit and got it right okay Okay, sweet. I think where I thought you were sober was because one day at a time resonates so um yes. so much with you and one day at a time is what we we say in recovery. Yes. And that's how we take it. But um I didn't think that other people applied it, but it, it completely is universal as a phrase. It was when grandpa got out of the hospital. The only thing I could do was one day at a time and this was back in 21. But now he's got dementia and it literally no day is the same we don't repeat a day ever every single day is different one goddamn day at a time that's all we can do and especially with the borderline we, we oh god it has to be one day at a time that's all I can do that is all I can do absolutely I think one day at a time I have to say it is such a powerful sentence because I'd heard it a hundred times, a thousand yeah. times, you know, yeah. before, and it didn't resonate with me until I went into rehab, until I came into recovery. And I thought, okay, I can do this just daily. That's all you need to do. And I didn't realize how powerful that statement was. And now when I think about it in the case of addiction, you know, all I need to do is wake up in the morning and say, I will not pick up today and go to bed and be grateful that it's been another sober day. And then I get a daily reprieve. But when it comes to BPD, 
Oh. It, it's so interesting because BPD can be four seasons in one day. So sometimes, oh. I think it was even you that said to me uh, mm -hmm. when we were early chatting, sometimes you have to just go, do you know what? I'm not going to get through this day, but let's get through the next half an hour. And if uh, I can't yeah. get through the next half an hour, let's get through the next minute. Yeah. No, I'm serious. And you know, people that don't have borderline or a mood or personality disorder might not understand that, but I feel like they do. Because... You just have to take care of yourself. Don't put such high expectations on what you're supposed supposed to be in quotation marks. Just live and and breathe and and do it at your pace. And mine, your pace is one day at a time, and that's that's fine. Yeah, like, definitely. I mean, it gives it definitely makes me feel much more secure as a person with BPD. But BPD <laughs> shows up so differently for everyone. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, how does it show up for you? You know, it's, it's funny, actually, that you brought that up because um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of taking my social media stuff up and up a notch and I'm rebranding and doing stuff behind the scenes. But I actually am coming out with a post. I think it's next week. That's what my content schedule says. But it's a BPD carousel. And I'm finally talking about how it's affected me. Um, yes, I'm all about no stigma, no stigma. But I'm actually really nervous about when it comes to telling you guys, everybody, how it actually affects me. Yes, you guys know I disassociate through my poetry. I've talked about that, hence the piece in Bloom called Disassociation. But that's a big thing for me. I, I disassociate. Um, but I also have explosive anger. Yeah. Okay. I split. But only with certain people. It's actually with my safe people that I split with. It's, and I'm just going to say this openly, and it's okay that I say this openly because I've talked to these people about it. I split with my grandma, I split with my best friend, and I split, split with my boyfriend. I hate you, I love you. That's how it is. Um, what's another thing? Paranoia. Not delusions, not hallucinations, and it's not anxiety. It is harping, harping paranoia. It is debilitating. It makes me sick. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just putting this very transparently. It's so hard. It's so hard. What, so yep. what, what's happening for you when you're in this paranoia? Well, I guess the difference between the anxiety, because I, I do have anxiety, I live with that, duh, mm. but anxiety versus the paranoia. The anxiety, I'm I'm just, I'm tense. It, it, it's, it's different because with paranoia, I get angry. I feel angry, like I think someone's looking at me. If someone's looking at me for too long, I feel like I'm going to rage. Yeah. I don't like it. I'm looking for things around me in my environment, on social media, in my relationships. It's like I'm looking for things to hurt me. I'm oh, looking I completely relate. I completely relate. Like I, I tried to explain this to a colleague and said, look, you have to understand because I'm very open about it at work. Yeah. I tell people because I yep. can't, I'm sometimes not in control of myself. And I know they tell you, oh no, but you have to learn to manage your emotions. Sometimes I know this, but I cannot do it. And and it, it compl I completely relate to um, this. Um, if people are looking at me and I'm gonna, I am going to rage. I'm going to rage, and you can feel it almost coming. And yeah, I remember, it I remember, yeah, it spills. And I remember when you snap, you snap. And I put a post on TikTok and I said, I can become. I do have narcissistic traits, right? But I can become like antisocial 
and very narcissistic in a split and I know that it's coming and as soon as it happens it's like a switch and I remember someone years ago describing red mist and I thought I know exactly what they're talking about red mist is real it comes down and nothing's gonna penetrate it Uh uh-uh and your heart is pounding and you can't stop yeah you're you're hot like uh, when I'm in a fit my skin gets red, especially my chest. I can just feel my chest and I'm like, yeah, she's hot. You're bothered right now. Well, I've never noticed anything like that. What I do notice is that I become razor sharp clarity. Like I can be pushed and pushed and pushed and I can feel it coming and someone mm-hmm. just needs to say something, a loved one say something and I'm out. Like there's no stopping me. And I'm just like, and I can see exactly what's on my mind and it's harsh. It's- ruthless and cutting yeah I can absolutely go for it I think this is why we get this term abusers and abusive yeah now I'm actually this actually kind of brought something up in my mind were you raised by a narcissistic and or borderline parent mom or dad for me mom mom wasn't around she had mental health issues right off the get-go and couldn't take care of me so dad got sole decision making not sole custody but sole decision making and uh yeah he he raised me same with nan and grandpa they all did it but dad he was not diagnosed with borderline in the past few years but he did see someone uh, like a psychiatrist and he did say i guess the psychiatrist said you have cluster b traits so yeah he has he has cluster b traits um to be honest with you it's probably arguably harder for him to live with than just having borderline why do i think cluster b traits what do you mean because you're getting you're getting hits of having borderline you're getting hits of ha- of being histrionic um not to make blanket statements but that's a hard one to live with histrionic personality disorder and i don't even know much about it so i don't even know if i'm going to say anything about it but having antisocial mm-hmm. and histrionic and narcissistic and bpd i can't imagine what's going on in his head Another one of my symptoms, actually, I guess, going back to how how BPD affects me, I'm an excessive people pleaser. Oh. Except I will go to ex- extreme, like some of the things I have offered and said to people um, that are not kosher, they're not okay, um, just because I'm leaving. Yeah. Or- With the people pleasing, I was horrified when I went into rehab, right? So, I mean, they talk about ego death, and I would say that's what I got when I went to rehab. And they said, oh, people pleasers are really manipulative. And I was like, I'm not manipulative. I'm a people pleaser. And they were like, yeah, but you're doing things at the detriment to yourself in order to make someone else happy because you don't want them to not be happy or you don't want them to see you in a certain (laughs) way. So you're manipulating them to behave in a certain way towards you rather than just express (laughs) what you want. You're right. Everything has to be beaten around the bush. Everything has to be. Where my people-pleasing comment was coming from is my empathy. I'm an emotional sponge. I I take care of anybody and everybody. I am the nice guy that gets walked on. Walked on. I, too many times I've been burned, but I've also been applauded by strangers, random people in stores that have seen my smile or just hear me, you know, interacting with someone and they're like, you're such a bright light. And that's me. Bubbly passionate exuberant woman and it is very much so genuine but it i've been stabbed 100 percent. 
a few times. Part of me is like, should I just go hermit and go rude, be rude and just stop? And then another mm-hmm. part of me is like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? What else can I do? What a weird fine line to tread. My God. Yeah, I, I think I'm just like susceptible to being burned by romantic interests. A lot of people with I hear online with BPD, they talk about having favorite people or favorite person. I don't have anybody that's me right now. Really? Oh, I don't have an FP. I did back in 2020. Oh boy, oh boy, but I don't know. <laughs> For the sake of a listener, and um, what would you describe your favorite person being? Oh god. Um I'm gonna be honest with you. I fell like the person that was my favorite person it was a girl I I did fall in love with her too I literally felt like she had practiced some sort of black magic or wicca and put me under a spell same I've done I've had I'm not kidding uh like literally felt like I was being manipulated like a voodoo doll like you know someone's got strings and I'm being pulled even though I don't want to do it I'm doing it yes I lost myself I completely morphed into that person I could not say no to that person I lost almost lost very important people in my life because of this person because I could not identify me as being Allie and her as being someone else we were just this she became me and I became her and as my grandma would say it became obsessive and stalk stalking like yeah you know as well right I was thinking I was reflecting on this recently I morph and shapeshift into my favorite person and I've only had maybe four or five in my life and I'll always become them I take on their mannerisms I take on all their Mm -hmm. hobbies I no longer exist and it's really hard to describe yeah I I'm not a person I'm a shell and they they have filled it and In a lot of my cases with favourite person, it's always been a romantic interest and it's always been... And she was a romantic interest. Yeah, it's it's all... A lot of people, some some people with BPD, it's a friendship, but for me, Mm -hmm. always romantic. But in a lot of the cases, they didn't want me, but they did want to play with me and to use me and to keep me hanging on and breadcrumbing me. And the other thing I noticed that I do is in these cases where, so he met someone else and he still played with me in the background and toyed with me, but he's had this new girlfriend who I became obsessed with, right? So I tried to learn everything, everything about her. I'll take on their, the girl's personality and change myself. (laughs) So I'm not crazy. (laughs) Oh, well, maybe. (laughs) I love it, love it. Oh boy, I, I thought it was- them. I was like, well, I'll just become her. I'll get really into all the stuff that she's into and I'll try and change myself so that I'm like her. And I'm obsessed. I'm almost more obsessed with her than I am of him. I'm just like, I can't stop looking at what she's doing. And it's and it's obsessive and it's and it's sick and it makes you feel ill. It's so funny when you become self-aware of having a personality oh. disorder, you just watch it playing out and you're like, Wow! <laughs> you know, what? The has also been able to bring me back to clarity and bring me out of episodes. Like, like, you don't need to be upset about this right now, or you don't need to react. You can respond. Yes, and also, I think stronger together with the theme of this 
uh, podcast episodes, you don't need to do this yourself anymore. I don't need to be consumed. And I seen someone talking recently about self-love and self-care and they didn't really know what that meant. What does self-care and self-love mean to you? Setting boundaries, saying no, taking yourself out on the occasional date alone, being okay with being alone. That's something I need to work on. Um, doing things that bring you intrinsic happiness not not oh yes and extrinsic too and what i mean by that you know what i mean but i'll explain it intrinsic being something that's an internal motivation or an internal happiness source extrinsic being something tangible physical that you can buy spend money on feel touch taste smell whatever both of them are fine but it has to be a healthy balance for a long time i was extrinsic with weed with sex with whatever you know and now it's intrinsic. Mm. It's the inner happiness. Again, mm. it's happy balance, but intrinsic happiness is a big part of self-care. Because if you don't feel truly happy within yourself, what the hell are you doing? I really grapple with this being happy with yourself because I am still on that journey of being happy with who I am. And... And I often hear the phrase, you'll meet the right person when you're happy and love yourself. Really? Because I see hundreds of people out there meeting the right person and they definitely don't love themselves, right? Yeah. Like, what yeah. and, and those are the relationships that will last like, what, one year, maybe even two months, or they'll marry and then divorce right away? Just like, so for me, self-love... I I think it's it's just an ongoing process that you practice forever. Like you don't suddenly reach Mecca one day and you're like, yes, I love myself and now oh. everything is wonderful. I just think it's always practice. It is. It sure is. It took a long, long, long time for me to be okay with the body I'm in. Yes, I have a couple extra pounds and I'm doing Zumba to shake those off. But hey, this is my body and you only got one of those. And there are so many societal norms and norms, again, in, in quotations that need to change. And one of them is, you know, the BPD people are abusers and are manipulative. Uh, you are not those things. <laughs> no, or, or, or that, I know we completely switched topics, we'll go back to it, but another super stupid notion is that we can't heal or don't want to or don't know how. That, I think, is a really insulting <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, because you're standing there as living fucking proof. Yes. See, and my thing, actually, I'm going to bring this full circle now, is I, I've had a talk with my therapist about this, actually, and I said one of my core things that I am wanting to achieve before I'm six feet under in another 65, 70 years from now is I want to break this generational trauma. And I am so... I will do everything I can to do that. And if that means I don't have offspring because I passed genetics on, so be it. I am not. I am not letting this happen to another child, to another adolescent, young woman, young man. No, absolutely not. So when I said that to my therapist, she says, Ali, I need to tell you something very profound right now. She says, of all the people with borderline I have treated, no one has said that and no one has been so passionate about it like you are. And I'm so proud of you. Me too. That was something. To hear a therapist say that 
not provoked, mm-hmm. not paid, just you're doing something that not a lot of people want to tackle because it's too hard. That's amazing. I can't believe your insight. Like it's incredible. With me, I have that maternal instinct in me. Yeah. I will be one hell of a mother. You would. I know it. And I'm not ready to do it right now. And I'm not ready to do it for a long time. If I cannot give my grandpa the patience that he needs with dementia, how the hell am I going to give patience to a four-year-old that doesn't understand? Yeah. You know, but I can say I will give my child when it's time the life that I never had, but I'm not going to live vicariously through them. Like a lot of people do. I just want them to live, thrive and do and be with no restriction, no care, no caregiving, no divorce, no being molested, none of that, none of that, if I can help it. Yeah. And by my child, if, I mean, you know, if I have to adopt, there are so many kids that need homes and that need loving families. I'm okay with doing that. Yeah. That means I'm not going to repeat history. I love that, like stopping generational trauma in its tracks and raising, you know, a child to feel totally unjudged and that they have a place in the world uh it's just such a nice concept and I love that there's I really love our generation actually like really starting to own this and and trying to resolve what are we what are we oh we're a generation of sunflowers (laughs) I just love having conversations about this. I could just go on and on and on and on. It's it's so important. And again, going back to the generational trauma, me doing everything I can to stop that and prevent it. That's why I wrote these books. Mm-hmm. So with the writing, did you mm-hmm. always, where did this writing creativity come from? Did you always want to write poetry? Have you always written poetry? Yeah, I've always written poetry. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably. I, I started writing. When I was as young as two or three, I would dictate things to my grandma that she would type. So she, I have things in the house that are, you know, of me when I was two, three, four, storytelling to her and her typing it. So as young as I can remember, I was a storyteller. I was, I was a wordsy gal, but it was really until I read Rupi Carr's books when I was 14, grade nine. I had been bullied all my life, grade three through to grade eight and through, through high school and those words, I don't know, they just resonated with me. They made me feel less isolated, alone, alienated, less crazy. Um, and she was just so authentically herself being vulnerable. And mm-hmm. it just really gave me that push that, okay, you're good at writing poetry. Not that you're good, but you write poetry. You use it as a medium of processing, helping yourself. Why can't you do that? Rupee's done it. Why can't you? And you don't have to be Rupi Carr. You can be Allie Loyans. Yeah. So, poetry really is is my thing. It's my love. It's what I do well and do best. Um, I kind of just said, I want people to know what I'm living with and what it feels like. Yeah, I get that. What advice would you give to a younger version of yourself or someone in your situation? Be okay writing everything down. It doesn't matter how morbid it is. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It doesn't matter even how boring it sounds or mundane. Get it on the paper. Get it on the paper. Let it let it flow. In, in my 
you know how I do it. Let it flow off your thumbs onto your notes app. Just let these things flow through you. Don't no inhibitions, right? Inhibitions. That's the word. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the writer. No, <laughs> um, no inhibitions. Just do it. You know, non-judgmentally, just do it. And you know, you might step back and look at something and say, "Whoa, this is really deep. I'm scared to do this." Do it. Do it because it's the people like that that go far in life. They're the examples. They're the torch holders. They're the siren. Do it. I um, shared a post from Florence Given today talking about people who are cringe, and what Florence Given was saying was, "We need people to that do cringe things because." You yep. might think what you're doing is cringy, but there's someone else watching you and they're inspired to do what you're doing because you've given them permission to do that. Totally. totally. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Okay, well, I'm going to get real honest then. The first book I wrote, there were 65 copies printed. It was for family and friends and I wanted them to know the pain I suffered with at the hands of them. That uh-huh. first book, written to hurt people around me and I'm going to be very transparent about that I Mm -hmm. wanted this gut punch and I sure accomplished it but it flourished into this beautiful thing of you know helping people and and healing Mm -hmm. yeah it came from angry alley but it also there was little alley in there saying you need to get this out you need to get this out you need to get this out Mm -hmm. yeah and then it just it completely morphed I I think it was probably when 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 grandpa was in the hospital in 2021 I said whoa I really got to look at what I'm doing here and I completely changed my purpose and I now know my why and that's very important I think people need to know their why and that's very difficult for someone with a mood but specifically personality disorder because we have that instability of self behavior mood everything um I think you need to come down to your why I literally sat down two weeks ago or I started rebranding and doing stuff with my business. Why? Question mark. Sat with mm-hmm. a pencil on paper and I wrote down my why. And everyone needs to do it. Get down to the core values. Who you are as a person. What are you here to achieve? What are you doing? How would you... I just feel like what you're saying is so powerful. Because if you're someone with BPD, we just really struggle with sense of self how did you find that why because where that took my head yeah is I would be like oh maybe this and maybe that and actually like what would they say mm-hmm. and what would they say and I'd second guess how did you yeah. harness really what was at the core of you to be honest with you I didn't really know with a generation of sunflowers but when I started writing bloom I knew I knew I'm doing I, I know I was doing this for us for everyone out there that is not ready to speak, that have not found their voice. And uh, it just came to me writing this book. This came from a different part of me. This came from author, storyteller, um, someone living this, someone on this journey. And I had to ask myself, why are you doing this? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it attention seeking? What is it? My why came down to three things to heal myself, to heal, to break stigma, and to help others. That is my why. Not in any specific order, but that is my why. I am a musician. I'm a daughter. I'm a caregiver. 
I'm an author. I'm a certified makeup artist. I'm a cat mama. Anybody who is wanting to know more, I did a reintroduction video on my Instagram, Ellie underscore author, reintroducing myself. And I know you saw that. So that's that's who I am. Many things. We're very multifaceted. What's next? What's the future hold for you? What are you excited about? Actually, something really cool is I connected with someone in my family didn't even know existed, but he is a, I guess, does medium work, intuitive work, and life coaching. He is borderline. He's trans as well, and uh, connected with me, and he wants to do a poetry night, like a hot chocolate poetry night uh, in the major city here, but also a smaller city out in the, in the country. The reason I'm telling you this is I have had this vision to start the BPD Society of Manitoba or BPD Society of Winnipeg. We just don't have anything here like that. And then my whole goal here is just to start the conversation about it in Manitoba in Winnipeg. So Grayson, my cousin, someone in my family, <laughs> he wants to bring to fruition exactly what I wanted to do and wasn't sure if I could do it. He wants to start a peer-led BPD support group. He's older than me, you know, he's got more life's experience and I just didn't even know there was someone in my family, in my realm, like that. What's next? I'm going to tell you and the listeners another thing before I am six feet under and 65 or 70 years from now. One, I'm going to break that generational trauma. And two, I'm going to start the BPD Society of Manitoba. What will that entail? What is the BPD Society of Manitoba? That, I have to come down to its why. Okay. I, have to, I have to figure out its why. But I want there to be something for people who were like me when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, thinking there was something wrong. And there was nothing ever wrong with you, baby. Nothing, ever. You did the best you had with the info you had at the time. And then you got the info you had borderline. Then you gave yourself grace and moved on and started living. So I have to come down to its why. But I just, mainly I think for education. Mm down to for me I think um I'm not a psychologist I'm not a therapist I've got a good ear but just a place I think where people can be themselves talk about it get resources I, I feel like everywhere would benefit from a BPD society but of all the places around the world we spoke about this before but in Canada mm -hmm. in particular where BPD can often be forgotten um, yeah what we talked about with the maid yep I'm just so glad we're talking about it. It's very important. And you know what? There are probably so many other pairs of gals like us around the world that are probably doing the same thing. Yay. We should have right. like some sort of BPD Comic-Con. Huh, right? Or like a conference. Yeah. Comic-Con, holy fuck, that would be funny. <laughs> I think that's, we can honestly just wrap it up with this. We are both stable, healthy, thriving women in their 40s and 20s with borderline personality disorder and a plethora of other mental health issues, we are doing it. Going right back to a piece in a, in a bloom. Re age, er, recovery does not age discriminate. Objects in motion stay in motion. Objects at rest stay at rest. It's never too late. Age does not discriminate. Ali, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank we you. are definitely stronger together and I really would encourage any listeners to try and incorporate stronger together in their week 
um, and ways that it's come up for them throughout the week. And I just hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Thank you. Thank you for having me, girly. And I hope we can have a conversation like this again, candid, real, and genuine. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ali as much as I did. If you would like to read her poetry, you can buy her books, Bloom and Generation of Sunflowers, via the Etsy shop that's linked on her Instagram profile, which is Ali underscore author. That's Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore author, A-U-T-H-O-R. I can't wait to catch up with you all again soon. Have a lovely week.